Hey there, and welcome back to Scopophilia. We are the millennial movie movement, and I, of course, am your host, Becky Teller. And I mean, guys, we are reaching the end of season three. I feel like maybe this is just me. I feel like this season has just kind of like whooshed on by. I mean, one second it was October, and now it's almost December. And like, as this is going live, Thanksgiving will be over. Like, unbelievably, this is episode 10 of season three out of 13. So we are so close to being on holiday break here in the studio, aka my house. Um, And it's kind of strange because time is flying by. Uh, But, you know, all that being said, we've had an amazing season this season three. It has been great from start to finish. Uh, And not only that, but today's episode, so appropriate with what is happening because Thanksgiving just happened uh, yesterday, uh, since you'll be listening to this after Thanksgiving. Um, But I have the lovely and talented Olivia Muniak on today. She is a chef. She does catered parties. She loves cooking for people. And so when she said she wanted to talk about an iconic film, which is Goodfellas, (laughs) I wasn't really sure um, what I was getting uh, myself into. And it was pretty incredible. I mean, I wasn't sure where... It would go because the movie is so violent. Um, but it was honestly so much fun. And just as a preface, just as a preface, if you are hungry, I mean, more than likely you're you're still in a turkey coma like I most likely am in the future on Friday. Um, but if you are even slightly hungry, eat before you listen to this episode because you will be starving by the time it's over. So I'll I'll stop talking because it was honestly so much fun to talk with Olivia and I just it was so much fun. <laughs> so, without further ado, my interview with Olivia Muniak about one of her favorite films, Goodfellas. Enjoy. Scopophilia is the newest thing to hit the market. Defined as deriving aesthetic pleasure from looking at something, it's the new craze sweeping the nation. Taken in large doses, side effects can include an addictive nature to have more film content. If this increase occurs, consult no one and keep listening. Hey there, Scopophiliacs, and welcome back to another episode of Scopophilia, the podcast. And I'm so excited because we have with us Olivia Muniak. Hi, first and foremost. Hi, how are you? How are you doing? You're in sunny LA. Hello. I am doing fantastic. I am actually about to get on a plane to New York, so I am ready to come to the East Coast and definitely been watching my favorite East Coast movies. (laughs) 
<laughs> Love that. Well, it's it's a, a crisp 50 degrees on this side of the coast. So we are ready for you. Perfect. It's so and great to be here. Thank you. I, I'm so excited to have you here. And you picked a great movie to talk about, which we'll get into in a second. But for people who maybe aren't familiar with your name or your work, you know, tell us a little bit about what you do, because I'm I'm personally fascinated by it. And I want to know more. <laughs> awesome. Um, so I have a catering and event production business in Los Angeles. Um, I started with a supper club. So I started hosting a pop-up dinner in my backyard and I would have 30 strangers show up to my house and I would cook them dinner. Um, and through that, promoting it on Instagram um, and email marketing, I started really building a business and a following around that. So I would film recipes, share recipes and people started asking me to cook for them in their homes. Um, a lot of brands that I worked with and had worked with in the past in my former career started approaching me. So I have this perfect blend of what I consider of working in the food and beverage industry, which is creative. You know, I get to produce these beautiful events for clients. Um, and then I also get to deliver it into people's homes by way of sharing recipes on Instagram. That's amazing. Well, and it's so I was looking at your website and like, I love cooking. And now that like, I'm working from home, actually, I like have all this extra time to cook. And I'm like, Oh, I'm going to try that. I'm going to try that. And I'm going to try this. Got to get to Trader Joe's. <laughs> yes, totally. I think actually, I think very few people can say that this time at home, um, maybe did a lot for their career. But mm-hmm. for myself, it was this really wonderful time to be able to embrace with my family and friends and those closest to me, like what is nearest and dearest to me, which is cooking for people and sharing the deliciousness of a home cooked meal, the warmth of it. And really, you know, for me, it was always about creating memories at the table. I think that's where so much of our, you know, the way we've existed in this world has kind of shaped around our family dinner table. Um, so COVID has actually been this really interesting kind of slingshot forward for me um, because so many people were like, I'm going to learn to cook. And wait, here's this girl (laughs) who's on Instagram teaching me how to make a perfect vinaigrette. Like I didn't know or how to make these cocktails. And I love classic cocktails. Um, And so, you know, I'm always trying to figure out ways for people to feel empowered in the kitchen. I love that. Absolutely. I totally agree. And I mean, absolutely right it's so you know wonderful to have like a family dinner like I love cooking for people so much so I totally understand what you're saying and I don't get a lot of chances to do it so I'm so jealous that you do in an aspect (laughs) that's so funny I mean it's you know it's so funny people always ask me though like why do you do what you do like what Mm -hmm. like really not just like the impetus of like how you started your business but what is it like, what is that sweet moment for you? Because there's got to be a driver for all of us and what we do, right. especially when we've turned our passion projects into like our income stream, like and our right. main income stream, you know, it's a huge shift in like what was once like fulfilling for you to something now that like is actually work, you know, mm-hmm. instead of just being creatively fulfilling. And it all centers around this time at 
the dinner table and specifically the hour after dinner. Like I love it when everyone, you know, bellies are full, wine is almost finished. There's like some people are (laughs) sipping on an after dinner drink, still eating a little bites of like chocolate tart. And to me, like the conversation is so sweet. And that's this moment in time where I feel like when we think about our favorite dinners with friends or the most memorable holidays with our family, those are that that's the hour that we hold on to. And I feel like that is what I try to recreate every time I build an event. And it's so much about atmosphere and scene setting and slowing down. You know, it's yeah. we live in a really fast paced world in America. Um, I think you can travel around the world and find countries that probably spend a little bit more time at the dinner table. Um, <laughs> but in America, we've commoditized food. <laughs> Right. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, and you bring up, you know, international. So, which leads us to our movie, which is all about Italians and a little bit of Irish people. And so you picked Goodfellas, which I was, I'll say now I had not seen before. I know. I know. (laughs) I was was like shocked on camera before, before it was audible. I can't believe you've never seen Goodfellas. I know. It's been on my list for a long time. And we actually had someone on season one who was going to pick it. And then he chose Pulp Fiction instead. Mm-hmm. And he was so mad about it. He was like, oh, it's so good. You got to watch it. Oh, okay. It's fine. And so I was like joking with him like, hey, somebody picked Goodfellas finally. He's like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> like Now you have to watch Goodfellas. <laughs> you know, I have to admit when this you know, opportunity came my way. I got like really in my head about movie. It was like, Mm -hmm. how am I going to talk about a movie that's impactful? Because like, I grew up, like I love crime movies and I love mobster movies and they were like, (laughs) great. But like talking about these movies and I was like, and I love like 80s rom-coms, like, you know, and it's like, I I think that there's just, I, I also gravitate towards films that were made in like a very, like, late 80s, early 90s, because uh-huh. I just think they're escapist. Oh, yeah. You know, they don't have the same, like, touch points and access that we have now with technology in the movie. So it really feels like I get to get transported into the movie. Absolutely. Um, but Goodfellas, I think the first time I saw Goodfellas, I was way too young to watch Goodfellas. <laughs> <laughs> like, my house, we watched a lot of James Bond, a lot uh-huh. of, you know, we weren't like a big television house, but we would get to see the movies. And I, I honestly think I was under 10. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's, that's real young to be watching Goodfellas. Yeah, I, <laughs> if my mom heard this, she would be like, that's not true. But I think I was really young and I feel like I should introduce the movie because people haven't. Yes. Yeah. I thought it was a classic. Oh, so. it is a hundred percent. I'm just behind. <laughs> So, Goodfellas is the story of a real mobster. It's a true story. It was written in a book, um, Henry Hill. And he was Irish-Italian. And it's his life story of growing up in the mob. Like, he started working for the mafia when he was, like, 10 years old. Um, And it's his life story. And the movie kind of travels this arc. And... I think because he grew up so young and just witnessed it that he actually was very immune to all of the chaos that is the mafia and like what that creates in his life. And you see him glamorized 
and then you see his life fall apart. Um, and it's a true story. And Scorsese does an amazing job with this film. Oh my gosh. So good. <laughs> I don't know. You watched it, but maybe more recently than I did. Did I summarize that? Oh yeah. 100%. Very well done. And I, I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, so, I mean, let's get into it. First and foremost, I see you wearing the horn. Are you Italian? Is that? Yes. So my, <laughs> so like, you know, my grandmother and my father, they are my grandmother's third generation Sicilian. Okay. And my grandfather, you know, I really, well, he's Irish American and I really have like, what is that classic American upbringing? My mom grew up in Brooklyn, but my dad is an immigrant. He's from Poland. Um, and through my business in food, like, I think I just have such an affinity to Italian culture. Oh, and yeah. It's so, I think if you grew up in New York City or on the East Coast, like you grew up in New Jersey. Yes. The way, <laughs> the way that we think of like an Italian American versus an Italian, like there's difference, mm-hmm. but then there's like so much and truly through food that it all comes back to. And we oh, can, yeah. we'll talk about it later, how Italian American <laughs> food is different than Italian food. Right. Um, but yes, I wear a little cornetto, which is a classic symbol. And I think anybody in New York right. from like the seventies <laughs> to now would be like, Oh my God, it's such an Italian like Guido thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, yeah. so I mean, there's so much in this movie to really hit on. But first and foremost, it's my favorite question to ask. It's the most difficult question to ask. Do you have a favorite like moment or part or line in this movie? So I do have two. Okay. Love that. um, And, but I think the other one I will discuss when we go into food because. Ooh, okay. The first, the scene that I love the most is when he's, when Henry is courting Karen and it's the night that he takes her to the Copacabana. Oh, and uh-huh. it, I just got goosebumps because <laughs> he, in this scene, he's like her knight in shining armor. She's totally glamorized and just enamored by the way he's such a smooth operator. And like, he feels good, you know? And I think it was towards the end of the sixties and everything was, you know, she's wearing white gloves and they, and he said, you know, he, I grew up in the restaurant business. Mm-hmm. My family owns um, Italian restaurants in New York City. And we, you know, I grew up in the back of the kitchens and it's just a way of operating. So Henry walks it to the Copacabana and she's like, oh my God, what are we going to do? We're going to wait on this line. And he's like, I don't know. I got a different way. And he's walking in and every place he's like, handing money to the door. And uh-huh. I'm not going to say that my father was such a smooth operator, but I never waited <laughs> online with my dad. <laughs> and so I think the way that I attach to this is just, there's a lot of nostalgia in that scene for me. And he just seems so powerful, so elegant. Like he knows what he's got going on and he seems like kind of debonair. And that's, oh, yeah. and she's just, you know, she's Jewish. He's Catholic. Like he's Irish. Italian American Catholic and she's Jewish. It was just like, you know, the scene where she's like covering up his shirt when he picks her up for the date because he's got a cross on. Um, but that scene at the Copacabana, I think it, it sets the tone for the whole movie. It glamorizes 
him being a mobster. And it oh, yeah. sets him so high up. And then it's a slow, like chipping away, peeling back layers of the onion to what that really like, that life really is. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, that Copacabana scene, you're right. It's kind of like the, because he, he does have like other glamorous moments and like, mm-hmm. you know, the extra apartment with the mistress and, you know, all this other stuff. But that's kind of like the pinnacle of his success almost. And it happens pretty early on of like, mm-hmm. I mean, I hope that everybody knows the Copacabana, you know, still in this day and age. But like the Copacabana iconic New York spot and the fact that, you know, they bring him a table to sit in the front of the Copacabana and people are already buying him bottles of champagne. It's like, that's luxury. That is luxury. (laughs) And for me, the funny part about what you say about that is like having grown up in New York City restaurants and having worked in food and beverage and in like in and around hospitality, that is the pinnacle of like, it is the way that you can see that something can always, like somebody can always make it happen for you at a restaurant. If you know the right people. And like, to me that like, that's a real scene of what hospitality is. Like Mm. if you take care of the staff and you are warm and like, he's gregarious, like, you know, he, and all the staff know him, he's tipping everybody, but that's kind of how, if you're really like tapped into like the right restaurants and who, you know, like all of a sudden the table comes available. All of a sudden, like they, they called and answered the phone and they said, no reservations, but right. all of a sudden they're putting up, you know, the <laughs> fact that they bring in a table and I love that they put a little lamp on the table and switch yes. it on. <laughs> and like those, it's that whole scene from like walking in down the stairs, he's tipping, tipping, tipping through the kitchen where you see them chopping. And it's this buzz and energy of a restaurant, which is why I do what I do. Like, I love the energy of hospitality. Like it's, and anybody who really works in hospitality has kind of probably like a sick relationship to that energy because it's so much adrenaline that Mm. gets you through your shift. And I think the viewer in watching this movie gets that adrenaline hit as they're going through this hole from the back entrance. And then it's the light on at the end and it's just (laughs) perfect and then they bring over a bottle of Dom Perignon and I work really closely with some of the Moet Hennessy team on the west coast and work with and like it's just like I don't know for me it's just like all of these like it lights up so many centers for me um and I produce events with Dom Perignon so it's just like so fun I'm like of course I'm like what vintage are they serving right Well, an absolute, you really get this kind of feel, like you said, like when you're walking through the restaurant, because on one hand, you're, you're kind of in Karen's driver's seat, right? Because you're, you're experiencing what she is, because you're like, you've seen him do, you know, X, Y, and Z, but like, this is kind of the next level of that. And he's doing it with her. And so she's dazzled, we're dazzled. And, and then it just kind of, you know, sparks into this, you know, Jewish Catholic romance quote unquote, I guess you could say, you know, their marriage is very strange, you know, from beginning to end. And I feel like it's important to note that this scene comes after he beats the crap out of her next door neighbor because he made a pass on her and she kicked her out of it because she didn't like, you know, he made a sexual pass at her and she said no. And he pushed her out of the car. And so Henry 
who wasn't sure if he really wanted to date her or not, you know, he was still dating other women. Mm-hmm. He feels this sense of protection for, in like sense of loyalty to those close, like, which is, I think the definition of like the way monsters oh, yeah. and mafia operate. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, he, so it's this really violent scene followed by this really magical, wonderful, like exciting scene where he seems so powerful. Yeah. And so it's like, and you're right, it's this pinnacle of his power. And then yeah, you go all the way down. <laughs> well, and you hit on something really great, which is like this, this like need to protect the people around you, like this like fierce loyalty, which like I'm friends with a lot of Italian families and like, <laughs> that's it. That's what it is. Even if you're not in the mob, but yeah. that's, that's kind of how they glamorize the mob in this film almost because it's, it's one big family of people who take care of you. You have Sunday dinner with them. You, you know, you make pasta and you, you rob a guy and you get your bookies and you get your money and then you go and you have family dinner and the wives talk. It's very interesting of like, I think in a lot of other approaches, and the Godfather had this a little bit too, of like in a lot of other approaches, it's violence. It's, you know, you don't want to get messed up with the mob and you know all this other stuff. And in this, it's like, maybe I do want to get in the mob. They seem like some nice people. <laughs> um, it They do. And I think that's what is all mafia movies. But I think at the beginning, when you hear Henry narrating it, he was like, these are the guys that had the car. These are the guys that took care of each other. And he's coming from a family that of an abusive father and he had, he didn't have anything. He didn't have access to anything. And this is, and I think this can be true, like globally, why people turn to violence and gangs because they think it gives them this protection and sense of family and community because it's somebody who's taking care of you, but they're asking a lot of you for yeah. that care. And it's easy, I think, you've seen it in so many mafia movies, it, it is all about the family. And um, and I think that's the psychology of it, mm. is that you have this protection and that you have um, a family if you didn't have one. Yeah. And, and that's interesting. And I think, but then you think about, well, what... what is the archetypes of family aside from mother, father, siblings? You think like the next thing that I think about is the dinner table. Yeah. Because that's how we talk about how our family, like, I think that's how we talk about our relationships and how we um, structure our childhoods. When we like share them, it's like, Oh, my dad wasn't home for dinner. Or my dad was always home for dinner. My mom cooked dinner. My mom was a horrible cook. Mm. Like, no, that's so true. (laughs) And like Karen says it, like you leave the Copacabana scene and then we go and he's like, and all of the wives were named like Marie, Mary, you know, and it's like, (laughs) they go through all of these super Catholic names and then, you know, all the wives hang out together and they all cook together. They all vacation together. And that is their, you know, they, and, and then when Karen's narrating this, she's really narrating it from a point of bird's eye view that she knew that this was what normalized it because mm-hmm. we, they kept it all in this inner circle. Yeah. And that was their, I think that's their coping mechanism for, you know, the violence that is the mafia. It is all the 
it was like he had two families. The first time I was introduced to all of them at once, it was crazy. Paulie and his brothers had lots of sons and nephews. And almost all of them were named Peter or Paul. It was unbelievable. There must have been two dozen Peters and Pauls at the wedding. This is Marie. Plus, they were all married to girls named Marie. And they named all their daughters Marie. This is Marie. And this is Pete. No, that'd be Paulie. I get confused myself. Congratulations. By the time I finished meeting everybody, I thought I was drunk. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. And, I mean, Karen is such an interesting character, like, on her own. And mm. the fact that she also narrates part of this movie, I think, was a really great choice to add. Because it really does kind of show, like, yes, there's the mobster perspective, but then there's also the wife's perspective in that same kind of chemistry and so like when she goes and like hangs out with all of these you know mobster wives it's like first of all i know all those women i know them (laughs) i they are very familiar to me and she at the beginning kind of feels like an outsider to that but like kind of finding her step and then she is that by the end of the movie Mm -hmm. She is like yes. integrated herself, which is so fascinating. <laughs> she does have a really interesting arc because she comes from being such a good girl. Yeah. And, you know, she's the Jewish girl next door. She, you know, wouldn't go out with a friend, like, because they needed, like, both of the girls wouldn't go out and be unchaperoned. So they right. went out with each other, which is the first date of her and Henry. Mm-hmm. And then Henry stands her up on the second day because he thought she was boring. And then she comes in and she like yells at him in front of a <laughs> bunch of different, like in front of the taxi cab stand. And he thinks she is hot. Yeah. And like she has this like, you know, ferocious side that comes out and she's like very womanly and she's very stands up for herself, which I think he was super attracted to. And throughout the movie, she, vacillates between being this character who needs help and support and like kind of this like broken woman to this character who's super strong but really you see that he's pushing her to her brink yeah but she loves him and then she falls in love with the life and then we i mean i don't even know how if we want to get to the end yet where we're talking about the drug abuse that happened (laughs) i mean why not let's just go for it at this point (laughs) um but towards the end, we're talking about Karen because then she starts using drugs and she starts seeing the affairs and everything. And it's the drugs that break Henry. Yeah. And the first time, I think before we go there, the first time he starts using drugs is the first time he gets arrested. Mm. And he gets arrested and he goes to prison. And this is where we get to my favorite food scene. <laughs> because. There's like six of them in prison together. Right. And these guys are getting in, like they're bringing in veal. They're bringing in (laughs) sauce, like Karen sneaking in bologna and sausages and cheese and mozzarella. Like, Uh like, you know, she's got it all in her big coat and they're cooking. And like, there's one scene where he, he gets his like next shipment of stuff from Karen and they're like opening up a bottle of wine. They have a bottle right. of Jameson as well. <laughs> and it's just so great. But I 
there is the specific scene within this whole uh-huh. story is when he's slicing the garlic with the razor blade. I knew it. (laughs) I have actually done that because of this movie. Of course. (laughs) Totally. Is it true? Does it really melt in the pan? It does. Okay, so I'm going to tell him, if anyone wants to cook and shave garlic, we don't actually have to pull out a razor blade, but this is my (laughs) quick way of doing it because sometimes I like to have those really thin slivers of garlic. Uh I pull out like a carrot peeler, a vegetable peeler, and you can take a big clove Uh and shave it. And if you want to, like, if you're cooking a beautiful pasta, grab out that vegetable peeler and you shave a large clove of garlic and you get these like big, beautiful, thin slices exactly like in that scene. Wow. See, that's good to know because I was watching it the other day going, hmm, that looks good. (laughs) That looks like it would be really good. good. (laughs) But again, we go back to the family. They're in yeah. prison with each other. They, you know, I think, I mean, I'm trying to remember what year this would have been in the, in this movie. I think it's like mm. the late 70s. I think so, yeah. And it's just like the security in the prison is so different. Like, obviously it's a movie, but they have, you know, they're all in a room <laughs> together. Right. And they've got a hot plate and they, you know, they've got a plate. They're cooking. And what was important to them was to all sit down at the table together. In prison, dinner was always a big thing. We had a pasta course, and then we had a meat or a fish. Paulie did the prep work. He was doing a year for contempt, and he had this wonderful system for doing the garlic. He used a razor, and he used to slice it so thin that it used to liquefy in the pan with just a little oil. It was a very good system. Vinny was in charge of the tomato sauce. Ah, got the smell. But treat the kinds of meat in the meatballs. You've got the veal. Beef and pork. Ah, good, but you gotta have the pork. Pork, that's that's the flavor. I felt to use too many onions, but it was still a very good sauce. Don't put too many onions in the sauce. I didn't put too much onions in there. Oh? Three small onions, that's all I did. Three onions? How many cans of tomatoes you put in there? I put two cans, two big cans. You don't need three onions. Johnny Deal did the meat. We didn't have a broiler, so Johnny did everything in pans. I used to smell up the joint something awful, and the hacks used to die, but he still cooked a great steak. Hey, how do you like yours? Red. Medium red. Medium red. Hmm, an aristocrat. See, you know, when you think of prison, you get pictures in your mind of all those old movies with rows and rows of guys behind bars. But it wasn't like that for wise guys. It really wasn't that bad. Except that I missed Jimmy. He was doing his time in Atlanta. Give me two steaks while you're in there, all right, John? Sure enough, she goes in a I mean, everybody else in the joint was doing real time, all mixed together, living like pigs. But we lived alone. I mean, we own the joint. Even the hacks we couldn't bribe would never rat on the guys that we did. I took care of them. Which is just fascinating. Like, and here it's, it's a bunch of men too. It's not the women cooking, and they don't lose. That doesn't lose importance when the women and the family isn't there, because it's what creates our transitions in our day, our meal times. Mm-hmm. You know, it is like you know. I talk about this a lot. Um, when I share about my business, it's sitting down is like really our, 
like our worlds revolve around our meal times and our lives. It, like it's not just something that mirrors our life. You know, food and drink is the social glue to our lives, whether it is our family relationships or whether it is our friendships, but it's like how we mark our day. And here in prison, you know, I think many prisoners would say like their days, you know, you you lose structure in it, but they have, they sit sit down all at a meal together and they cook them. And that creates a different experience of it. Absolutely. And it, it definitely is kind of like a flipped script in terms of like, what usual prison scenes are, which is like, you know, gray, you know, you're slumming it in the yard and you're getting slop. And it's like, these guys not only have their own cell, they have ingredients to make like a good pasta dish and steaks. Yes. It's like, it's kind of sweet and and endearing. And sauce from scratch with thinly cut garlic that melts in the pan. Yeah. (laughs) And like, and I love that that's what the enti- pretty much the entire prison scene focused on was, I mean, I think you're looking at two things. First, we're looking at the access that they have and how powerful they oh, were yeah. to be able to be given this treatment and to have Karen walk in with her coat stuffed with food <laughs> and drugs to be right. able to, but this is where the scene where Henry starts to be able to create a new revenue stream for himself while he's in prison. But it's also like, it's telling us again, it's reinforcing that this is your family. This mafia is your family. And this is how we envision family. This is how we picture it. This is how we take care of each other. We cook for each other. We spend time at the table together. So that, you know, these, this is like where I think the biggest arc, in the movie is and from the prison scene is when it really starts his life begins to unravel oh yeah absolutely well because you have like before prison things are going pretty well things are kind of starting to slow down and then prison happens and then literally as soon as he gets out of prison it's like it goes up for a second and then it just plummets straight back down because of like drug use drug abuse um you know dealing drugs in general and yeah and then ultimately being you know having your back you know turned Polly turns his back on him yeah and he gets but there's a moment in where it comes back where he like his life is glamorized again and he has and Karen you know she's like walking it through and we know it's the 80s because everything became so black and gaudy and it was like these big leather like white couches and Mm -hmm. this like rock wall that like separates to like reveal (laughs) the entertainment system and like it's it's another great scene where i think it's the next time where they really seem in partnership again where they seem like they really love each other like they're like they're this unit oh yeah and they're this power mobster couple and she's got this life and, you know, she's walking around the house and saying, oh, this is from here and it's important. We spent this on this. And, you know, it's again, it glamorizes drugs and like what comes out of like, if you are in the drug trade, like what's going to be come out of that. And then you see it all unravel with what happens when you use them. Yeah. 
I mean, that scene where the helicopter is following them all day long and Ray Liotta just like looks like a ghost from start to finish. He looks terrible. And you really see like physically, mentally, you know, it's all kind of there saying this has gone really bad, like in every aspect. (laughs) But if you think about that scene... It's all about the sauce he's making. Yes. He's making sauce for family dinner. <laughs> yes. And he's like, I had to go pick up my brother from physical therapy, bring him back. I had to start the sauce. Then we were making the meatballs. And then we had to go out and get, you know, <laughs> I, I forget the babysitter's name right now. Um, oh, yeah. Louise? Holly? Oh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> well, we both got that one. Very different names. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Lois. Yes. Lois. Okay, Um, (laughs) but that whole scene of paranoia, aside from the time that he leaves his house, when he's like, it's all in the kitchen and you see the sauce splattered on the like kitchen backsplash. (laughs) And every time he checks in, he's telling his little brother, don't, don't burn the sauce. Keep stirring the sauce. And it's like, I don't know. I think you think in any Italian family it's all about the sauce that we make and it's like a whole you know sunday routine see i was cooking dinner that night i had to start braising the beef pork butt and veal shanks for the tomato sauce i'm gonna make them all i'm gonna make all this meat it was michael's favorite i was making ziti with the meat gravy and i'm planning to roast some peppers over the flames and i was gonna put on some string beans with some olive oil and garlic and i had some beautiful cutlets that were cut just right that i was gonna fry up before dinner just as an appetizer so i was home for about an hour Now, my plan was to start the dinner early so Karen and I could unload the guns that Jimmy didn't want and then get the package for Lois to take to Atlanta for her trip later that night. Who's been carving their initials in the tomato? No, I kept looking out the window and I saw that the helicopter was gone. Michael, keep an eye on the saucer, right? Stay here with your Uncle Michael, right? I'll see you later. So I asked my brother Michael to watch the sauce and Karen and I started out. I think last Sunday I made bolognese because I was like, I gotta make the sauce. I'm like, I'm in like doing this podcast. (laughs) I watched Goodfellas this weekend. Like I need to make the sauce. Yes. Um, (laughs) And everybody's been like DMing me being like, where's the sauce recipe? (laughs) (laughs) But you can find the bolognese on my my website. Oh, thank goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely up there. Um, It's the perfect time of year to start Mm -hmm. making Sunday sauce. Absolutely. And it's so true, that whole scene where he's on the phone with Louise and she's saying, yeah, I got it. I'll take care of it. He's like really pissed off at her. Like, you need to tell me that you are going to do exactly what I am saying. And then that conversation is over and it's like, tell my brother not to let the sauce stick. He has to keep stirring the sauce. And it's like, that becomes the most important thing. Yeah. Other than moving these drugs. (laughs) Yes. Um, It's. I like, I don't know. I think there's, I mean, I've seen this movie so many times, but I, when I rewatched it recently, because I knew this was recording was coming up, <laughs> I watched it with a friend who had never seen it. And I wasn't surprised. Like it, you know, she's not a East coast girl and like, definitely not a person who I think like gravitates towards like crime movie. Like I love detective uh-huh. shows, like all of it. And and I was just like, oh my God, watch that scene. Like, and I was like, that's like a fantasy. Like, and you know, she was like, oh my gosh, I don't know. If <laughs> it resonates the same way, but it's a really brilliant film. 
Oh my god! And it just tells the story of family. It tells the story of like glamour and fame in a way in a very small community. And, and it shows it how it unravels. Like, and I think, and the fact that it's a true story is just, you know, I think it's, it's, it's an incredible peek into someone's existence. Absolutely. Well, and it's, of course, Scorsese directed. So like, I knew what I was getting when I put on Scorsese because, you know, I've seen Wolf of Wall Street. I've seen uh, Taxi Taxi Driver, I think is him. Yes. Yes. Um, Wolf of Wall Street, Taxi Driver, The Irishman on Netflix. So like I knew what I was getting out of like a mobster-esque movie Mm -hmm. with Scorsese. And I turned it on and said two hours and 25 minutes. And I was like, well, better get my blanket because I'm going to be here a while. (laughs) It's a really long movie. I kind of forgot. I always forget how long it is. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, you start with him when he's like 12 years old. And he's this cute, handsome kid with sparkling blue eyes. Mm -hmm. And it really was his ticket out of his life. He has you know, a deadbeat drunk dad who beats him. And, and, and I don't know if that's like actually true or if that's like what, well, you know, what potential and what access did he have as a young kid right. in growing up, you know, you know, in a blue collar family in Brooklyn and where was he going to take that? And like, and so he thought that his way out of and what way toward, towards a better life was through crime. Yeah. Which like, I mean, I guess if you don't have like that specific, I guess, scenario or like, you know, whatever's going on in your life. Like for me, that wasn't my experience as a child. So I'm like, why would I turn to crime? But it's like, you also kind of understand it in that context as like a tool. But even though it is two hours and 25 minutes, like you could take an intermission, but it by the end of it, I didn't really feel like it was two hours and 25 minutes. It, it kind of felt like I was just in it, like very immersive, well, like you were saying. Yeah. And I think it's because you go through so many phases. Like mm. there's never, there's never a point where it's each one, each of the phases of his life and like these decades that we travel through are so distinct. Mm. And like, you never really go back to that version of him and that version of his life. Like you only see the upward trajectory and the downfall. Yeah. And there's never, so I think that's why it doesn't feel like a long movie. Um, but yeah, one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to ask you because it is now that you're kind of saying it, there is a lot of like food being the glue of everything. Mm-hmm. And, but I did want to ask you in terms of, because it is a mob movie, so there is violence. But I so I was watching it for the first time yesterday, and I was kind of getting like that violence was like a backseat thing. Like it didn't feel as violent as other films I've seen um, that have come out, you know, since this movie, because this was 1990. Do you when you look back now versus when you watched it when you were 10, do you kind of get that same feeling of like, it isn't as violent as I thought it was going to be? Or is that just me? (laughs) I don't think it's a violent mob movie. Mm. I think movies today are actually much more violent. Um, There's definitely some really graphic scenes. Oh yeah. But I think it's more 
the story of like a a love that he has for this group of guys that took care of him and raised him and made him into a version of a man that he really liked. Mm. And, um, and that's like maybe something that resonates now with me when I look back at that movie, because through my work in food, even though I grew up in a restaurant industry, I had never, when I went to college, like I thought I was going to do something completely different. And food was always like a fallback. Sometimes like, you know, I waited tables in college and like I was a cocktail waitress and then, but I was studying fashion and I really wanted to work in the fashion industry. And, but I never felt like myself when I worked in fashion and I worked for a great footwear showroom. Like I had some amazing jobs and like consulted for some amazing companies. And, but I always felt this like void in my life. And then, but when I decided to really embrace cooking and embrace hospitality, again, I thought I was going to open a restaurant and like do something out on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. And, and then I worked in a restaurant for six months that I loved. Like this was like, you know, I worked for Jelena and I worked on the floor. I thought this is the best way to build a restaurant is to work from, you know, from the floor through the back to like see at the operation and like spend a year there. And after six months, I was like dead. I was totally worn out. I was like, I can't do this anymore. And then it was only a few months later when I started the supper club. And it was really like, I was trying to find my own version of it, which I think Henry's trying to find this version of family and life that works for him. And like, I always say that my whole life came into perspective when I really embraced my love of cooking. And, you know, all of these like, twists and turns I had made in my career that like used to make no sense. I was like, I had a job in fashion and then I was working in marketing and like I worked for a homeware company. Like none of this made sense until I started producing events. I worked with Moet Hennessy. Like I said, you know, he has a scene with the Dom Perignon and, um, and I produce events for Moet Hennessy. I have a catering and event business and through all of them, all of these things that I had done in my career where, you know, working in sales, like I need to be able to pitch myself to clients working for a homewares company. I staged furniture for events and what's the warmest part. And what's the most welcoming part is the food. And yeah. we get to bring that. So I think that part of Henry, where he's looking for his life to make sense and he's looking for that. And that part is perhaps a, like, something that draws me to or makes it familiar i think most people can probably touch on a point where they've worked in some capacity and they never felt like them and then they find a job that really fulfills them yeah and it makes them feel like the best version of themselves and that's what he did there and then i mean we see it unwind but the first half of the movie and i think you see like i think as a viewer you're kind of like you have like you're supporting him. Like you want him to find his way again. Yeah. Like you have like a connection to him. Like somehow you're invested in him finding his way back to his like good old mobster days. Right. No, hundred percent. And by the end of it, when he gets into witness protection, I kind of laughed because it, it is a little funny seeing him in suburbia, mm-hmm. but it's interesting because it that's almost like his version of hell, right? It's like, it is. 
he can't do violence. He can't do drugs. He can't do like a weird racketeering thing per se because he's trapped in suburbia. And it's almost like Karen's dream. Like this is what she wanted the whole time was like a dutiful husband and a nice house and the birds and the kids and da 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 da. And maybe not by the end of the movie, but definitely like when she started their marriage, I feel like that's what she was kind it's of funny. into. And I don't think it's the, I actually don't think it like, I mean, it is this part of suburbia that makes it enough, but I don't think it's actually leaving the crime mm. component of that, that makes his version of hell. Cause I do agree that the suburbia is his version of hell, mm-hmm. but I think it's the like quote unquote culture that he misses. It's the bars, the restaurants, the money, the cars, the clothes. It's all of that glamour that he mm. associated that with becoming a mobster he was able to you know have all those things and he was you know the fashion forward clothes like you see like the different fate like in all the different decades like his colors they change so much (laughs) um you know the suits and being able to buy his wife something and i think karen really appreciated that type of luxury as well and that type of access but I don't think she goes into witness protection program with him. She doesn't do it because of his family. Oh, her family. Okay. It's only you only see him because That's the last true. scene she's saying that I could never talk to my mother. What if my mother gets sick? Right. And it cuts to Henry walking outside some suburban house in his robe, picking up the newspaper. I don't think he goes with I don't think she goes with him. Oh, that's good. I didn't even realize that. I just figured that she went with him because I don't think she does. I don't. We, I I'd think you're probably back, right. Yeah, but I, I think, think you're probably does. right because there's no indication that she does because it's just him and one car in the driveway. Yeah. Ooh, I like that better. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's why he, you know, loses this whole. And I think if you think about people in hospitality in general, there is, um element of it that it does provide you like it does make you look cool it does provide you access like if you've got a place to eat and drink every night of the week in a great big city like you know that's what a lot of people move to cities for is being able to go and if you if you know the door girl or maitre d at all the good restaurants and (laughs) you're friends with the bar you're eating for you're eating and drinking for free like You know, oh, I'm sorry, the steak just fell out of the kitchen. Um, like <laughs> somebody sent this drink back. Like I have seen that throughout my life. I have so many friends that you know work behind the bar, and like mm-hmm. so much of my staff at my company, like they're all they all work for restaurants that I've worked for before. And it's this amazing community and network that is the hospitality industry, and we all connect over the table like and it's a very warm industry and very helpful i think people love to lend a helping hand and they're all about creating experiences for people that transcend everyday life and i think that movie transcends everyday life like you know you want to be henry hill if you're part of this movie even though you know that he's such a horrible man oh yeah (laughs) it's so true (laughs) i mean so it feels like we're getting kind of close to closing, but yeah, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you this question, which is, what is your favorite 
Italian meal? Oh my gosh. <laughs> You're going to make me pick one? <laughs> oh my gosh. You're going to make me narrow it down. Oh God. Um, <laughs> I mean, we could just gush about Italian food. We That's can, fine we can with gush me about too. Italian food. Okay, we can start there. Um, so I'll go back. I'll, I'm going to start it with when sometimes I get hired and people are like, carte blanche, Olivia, you know, build us this menu that you want. And mm-hmm. like, how would I design a perfect evening? Yeah. And there's an arc to it, just like this film. Um, and I think being a great hostess at home starts with like the moment you welcome somebody into your home and people are like, how do you cook like a multi-course meal and be a hostess and like be front of house. And I'm like, I always say, I'm like, it's a lot about prep work, but I think the warmest way to welcome someone into your home is to start with a cocktail hour and just like have a few olives and chips out. And it's actually pretty standard. Like if you are going for an aperitivo in Italy, you're going, you're going to order a cocktail. They're going to charge you more than they typically would at a different time of day because it's going to come with snacks. So, and the <laughs> snacks don't have to be filling. It just needs to be something to munch right. on. So I'm a classic cocktail girl and I love a Negroni and I make a white Negroni. Um, and so that's like how I would start my perfect evening and my perfect meal, a white uh-huh. Negroni, some Casa Beltrano olives and some potato chips. Uh-huh. Starts Very there. good. Then when we go to sit down for the meal, there's a dish called Fiore di Zucca, which is fried squash blossoms and it's stuffed with ricotta and parmesan Mm. and herbs and it's done in a tempura batter so it uses um just flour and some cold club soda and it makes the batter really really light um so it's just this perfect little crunch on it and you can only get it in the summer and i remember the first time i ate it at my family's restaurant when i was like 16 years old we had opened a fine dining restaurant and so in the summertime at catering events, like I am just fried squash blossom queen. <laughs> just going out. So, so then we got the fried squash blossoms. We're still uh-huh. sipping our Negroni. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to open up a bottle of Gava de Gavi, and which is like a nice minerally full bodied or kind of medium bodied white wine. Uh-huh. And I would go into a risotto. Oh. And yes. everyone says that risotto gets, and I were like, risotto is so tough. Don't serve risotto for a crowd. I'm like, I think risotto is great for a big group of people. Like it's actually pretty easy to make. I'm like, it's onions, rice, and a little bit of butter. I live in California. Everyone's gluten-free. So like, you know, it's like, it's the easiest way for me to like satisfy like an Italian, like people who want to like a heavy Italian meal, but they're all gluten-free. Right. So you make this big, beautiful pot of risotto and nothing looks more impressive than having a hostess standing in stirring a pot of risotto every 20 minutes or so <laughs> people are sipping Negroni some people are on wine. So now we're at the risotto after risotto. Well, maybe I should say if it's summer, cause we're in summer right now, this is the meal that I'm talking about. A risotto <laughs> limone, even easier. It's like, it's just lemon zest, tons of Parmesan, a little bit of basil, butter, white wine. And it's just, it's like, bright acidity in your mouth but it's creamy at the same time Mm. and then i would find and then i would finish with fish um and 
I'm not a big Bronzino person, even though it's pretty classic Italian fish or like Mediterranean fish. Mm-hmm. Um, but I make an oregano salsa verde with oh. it. And again, it's just <laughs> herbs, beautiful white fish, and it's really light goes perfectly with everything else that you've eaten. And I think after risotto, it feels really nice and hearty. And I have two favorite Italian desserts and I make them all the time for when I entertain. And the reason why is because they can be made in advance. Uh So like, I think there's like, you can do two dishes, the risotto and the fish, and those can be served like a la minute. Like you cook them while people are there. You've got Uh everything measured and set. But you made the res- dessert like two days ago, so it's fine. It's easy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, I think about like when I host like cook people at home, I think about a restaurant, the way they operate. They're not making everything from scratch when you order it. So that's right. why it works faster. Um, so I make a buttermilk panna cotta oh. with a little bit of almond extract and you do some fresh fruit compote. But really, I think my favorite dessert that I make is tiramisu. Oh. And... And so many people don't <laughs> like tiramisu. What? And then I, tr- and I try so many restaurants tiramisu because I order it everywhere. It's been my favorite dessert since I was like four. And I don't know why, how I ended up getting a spoonful of like coffee filled tiramisu when I was four. It's probably bouncing <laughs> off the walls, but it's been my favorite dessert forever. Mm. And tiramisu shouldn't be that sweet. It shouldn't be that stiff. And like, there's a lot of bad tiramisu out there in the world. And I just like desserts and they're just like a little perfectly sweet. Yes. In summary, my perfect (laughs) Italian meal, which definitely has a huge California influence. Mm -hmm. I do a white Negroni, olives and classic potato chips, a fiori di zucca, a risotto limone, (laughs) and a white fish with an oregano salsa verde on it. And then we finish with tiramisu or panna cotta. And... It's, I don't know. It's just the perfect arc of a meal. Oh, I'm coming to your house for dinner. (laughs) Please come over. And if anybody wants to cook all this stuff, like I would say all of these recipes are on my website. Um, And I'm very quick to my Instagram for cooking questions. (laughs) I I have a lot of friends down there. They're like, okay, I'm making this recipe. What do I do now? I'm like, I don't think the butter's browning the right way. Well, I love that. And it's, it's so, my mouth is literally watering just thinking about all those delicious Italian meals and especially watching this film. By the end of it, I was like, I, I need like some spaghetti. I need lasagna. I need ziti. I need like all of the, all of those pasta dishes. I made bolognese like two days oh. later because I was like, I need it. Yes. And but I need it. <laughs> it's a movie that makes you want to like, have a drink like with them i've yes. noticed that there's certain movies that i'm watching that i'm like i want to have a glass of red wine with you i want to have that cocktail uh, <laughs> it's true it it's made me want to like, have, a, like a, a movie type yeah movie. it made me want to have like a bunch of friends over and like make a large pasta dish of some kind with like roasted vegetables or like you know some something very italian feeling and like watching this movie with red wine like that's yeah that's what this movie makes me feel. <laughs> it always makes me want to bring back doing like Sunday suppers with my mm. friends or even supper club, which I haven't been able to do because the unpredictability of COVID and, you know, people right. want to host private events. Um, but there is something so special and alluring about 
that Sunday dinner with friends. And whether it happens on Sunday, I think you can still call it Sunday dinner and everyone oh, knows yeah. how feeling it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I mean, I feel like we've kind of come to the end of this. I'm so hungry now. <laughs> I know, me too. I'm ready for a cocktail. I'm like, it's almost an appropriate time to have one. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, first and foremost, thank you so much for coming on the show and picking, you know, this iconic movie that has been on my list for a while. So thank you first and foremost for that. Um, and, you know, where can people find you? You're on Instagram, obviously. Um, you know, where where can we find all of the things about you? Well, thank you so much for having me. I thought this was such a fun opportunity to jump on and like <laughs> very different than my normal ways of talking about being able to share about what I do and something that, you know, feels really personal. So it's such yeah. a pleasure to be here. Um, yes, you can find me on Instagram, just at Olivia Muniak. I am always sharing recipes and cocktail videos that you can cook along with me. Um, and then my website where all of my recipes live is this is lacura.com. So I don't know if we have a way of sharing that, but it's <laughs> this is L-A-C-U-R-A.com. Perfect. Well, I'll be sure yeah. to be posting all of the links and of course tagging you and things online. So if you're having trouble listeners finding her, I will make sure that you have an easier time on Instagram getting to her and getting those recipes because I need that bolognese recipe ASAP. Yes. <laughs> and definitely cook along with me. And like I said, DM me with cooking questions. I'm always happy to answer. <laughs> yes. Perfect. Well, I mean, again, thank you so much. And we, we can talk for a minute after the recording is over. Um, but just thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure and, and honestly, such an interesting way of thinking about like a mobster movie in terms of like Sunday dinner. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's been such, so much fun to be here. And thanks for having me. Another huge thank you to Olivia Muniak for coming on the show and talking about one of her favorite films, which is Goodfellas. And also, thank thank you so much, Olivia, for coming on and just talking about this film in such a new and different way. I, did, I didn't really know what to expect. And uh, I ended up hungry and so excited and... Just all of the good things. Now, of course, as I said, uh, towards the end of this interview, um, Olivia's company, La Cura, uh, will be in our Instagram. Uh, so if you haven't subscribed to our Instagram, I suggest that you do it because all of the good things are there. Our Instagram handle is at scopophilia underscore podcast. We do also have a TikTok account at Scopophilia, the podcast. And since you're already on the internet, you know, doing all of those things, you might as well rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Uh, it always helps us out a lot, and I love hearing from you guys. And additionally, if you just can't get enough of the show, uh, we do also have merchandise for you guys to purchase. Uh, it's the great gift to give your fellow Scopophiliac uh, this holiday season. We have shirts, we have hats, and we have tote bags. Uh, they are incredibly comfortable and very uh, functional, I will say. Uh, I, I use my uh, tote bag all the time when I go to the grocery store. I wear my hat on, uh, on no hair wash days and uh, basically just wear my t-shirt any opportunity that I can get. 
And uh, if you do end up purchasing the merch, make sure you tag us because I would love to see you guys in said merchandise. And lastly, of course, don't forget to tell your friends and your family and your family of friends and your friends of family about the show because we love continuing and spreading this conversation about movies and the millennials and the different perspectives that we all have watching different films. And that's the whole point of the show. And lastly, 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 um, happy post-Thanksgiving. I know technically by the time you listen to this, it will have been yesterday. Um, But if you live in the U.S. and you celebrate Thanksgiving, I hope you have a wonderful turkey coma. Get your green bean casserole. Get your, you know, dinner rolls or your biscuits or anything else. And I hope you had a wonderful time, hopefully seeing family. As always, I'm your host, Becky Teller, leading the millennial movie movement here on Scopophilia. And I'll see you all next Friday. Bye.